Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, to minister to us, to help us to listen to whatever you have for us. Luke chapter 12 was a very difficult chapter, very harsh, talking about hypocrisy and judgment and death. And and we pray, Lord, that we do not misrepresent you. I pray that I don't misrepresent you in the words that I say and the words that I preach, that your heart, that your love and your grace and your mercies are just saturating the lives of the people here and listening to the message. God, may you protect them from the harshness or may you open them up because they need to hear the rebuke. And so, Lord, we we ask for you to be here and to minister to, to the folks here. In Jesus' name, amen. I was asked by actually more than one person, a few people, um, this past month as we were studying the book of Luke because they, they asked me if I was grumpy. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe. But um, the, the, the content within the... 12th chapter of Luke is, is just kind of harsh and it's just kind of serious and, and I'm, I'm really trying to stay true to that because um, it, it is a harsh chapter and so it's not all fluffy and Jesus birth and you know like stuff like that but that's, that's cool, that's Christmas, we'll do that next month this one was a little more serious so they, they asked me because they were like yeah hey, we just don't see your humor coming in as much and you're not joking as much and it's hard to joke about judgment right, I mean it's kind of difficult and so, if you're looking at the 12th chapter of Luke as a whole, um, if you look all the way back to the, the ver- first verse, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. It reminds me of a Raiders game, except that Raiders fans would trample you if there were just ten people. It doesn't matter if there were thousands. But if you can imagine what this crowd would look like, not the Raider fan crowd, but Luke chapter 12 crowd. If you can imagine what they would look like, right? This is a very diverse group of people. There there are Arabs there. There are Jews there. um, There are people going to and fro within the Roman Empire. All different ages, ethnicities, who have an interest in hearing from Jesus. And so the stories have been traveling around. People have been hearing the stories about Jesus. And so thousands gather to hear about Jesus. What, what, is he, what is He going to say? What is He going to do? And many heard about His healings. Many have seen His healings. Many have heard and seen His miracles. Many have had their needs met. And so much like many of us, we're all at different stages of our spiritual journey. Right? Some of us have been walking with Jesus for many years. And some of us, maybe some of us, I don't know everyone's story here, maybe some, someone here is... It's kind of in that seeking mode, and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus, but you're just kind of seeking. You're just kind of interested. And so it's similar to the folks back in Luke chapter 12. Some of his disciples have been with him for a while, and there were people there that were just kind of curious. They just wanted to see what was happening, hear what was happening, things like that. So in verse 1, who was Jesus' attention on? He began to say to his disciples first. So it's his disciples. Now, sure, other, other folks could eavesdrop into what Jesus was, was teaching His disciples, but He was addressing His disciples first. And what did Jesus say to His disciples? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So right on the starting blocks, Jesus is addressing hypocrisy. Now that we're at the end of chapter 12, 
and we've covered the beginning of chapter 12 over a month ago. So why even bring up the beginning of chapter 12 again? Because the way that chapter 12 closes is very similar to how it began in with a warning, a warning about hypocrisy. And so these bookends of hypocrisy and everything in between it, within there, Jesus taught some really difficult things to us, some really harsh things, and he wants us to live in a reality, what's real. And part of that reality is to get real with ourselves, to take a serious look at our own hypocrisy. And in order to get there, Jesus holds up this mirror so that we can take a look at our own ugly honesty. Because the honesty is often pretty ugly, right? The funny thing about mirrors is that once you see the real you, you start trying to put makeup on it, right? Or you start trying to pretty yourself up. But the real you is sometimes pretty, not, not so attractive. But once we face up to the facts, we can, we can live up to reality. Now, you can't have a transformative relationship with Jesus if you don't know you're a sinner, you can't experience the beauty of redemption if you don't acknowledge the ugliness of your sin. Jesus doesn't always have really nice things to say. Sometimes he has some rebuke. Sometimes he has some harsh things to say. And you take a, take a look at last week's message, for example. Last week's message, we looked into Jesus' teaching regarding fire in verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. See, that was about judgment. It was about refinement. It was about power and and what Jesus was talking about there that doesn't look very nice is, is judgment. I mean, who likes to look at judgment? Who looks at that favorably? And then you go into verse 50, Jesus talks about baptism. And he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So his death on the cross. He's also talking about death to ourself. Death to self. That is not a popular thing for us to be talking about. And then you go into verse 51. Jesus talks about division. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Division even in the most intimate of relationships. Your own family, your own inner core. And while Jesus is the most powerful in uniting families, He's also really powerful at dividing families. And division is not a popular thing. Division is not a favorable thing. Division is not looked upon favorably or in a good light. So some really difficult teachings from Jesus just last week. Not everything Jesus said was nice. Not everything Jesus said was popular. Even though that's what people like to focus on. Even people within the church. Let's not talk so much about the hell stuff and the judgment stuff and all that kind of stuff and the condemnation. Let's talk about the positive things. Let's talk about love and grace and mercy but Jesus taught some really difficult things. And they aren't always nice and they aren't always popular and positive, but they're still truth. And what Jesus taught was sometimes heavy and sometimes difficult for some of us to accept. But even if His teachings are heavy and difficult for us to receive, our logic and reasoning allows us to kind of discern all those things and understand Jesus. There is a common sense to Jesus. Now others may argue this. They may argue that God and Christianity and the Bible and Jesus, those things just don't make any sense at all. I defer. I don't think so. I think it makes complete sense. And Jesus points this out starting in verses 54 and 55 of our text tonight. 
He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. In the Middle East, the Mediterranean Sea is to the west, right? So that moisture, that body of moisture is to the west. And that is where their rain, their their uh, moisture comes from. So Jesus was saying, when you see clouds forming in the west, in the Mediterranean Sea, you know that rain is coming. Anyone here a meteorologist? Good, I can offend, I can offend them. Then. Aren't they just useless? I mean, what what is a meteorologist? You and I can do just as accurate of a job as they can in predicting weather. Right? And half of the time they're wrong. But we look up into the sky and we can look towards the Pacific Ocean and we can see the dark gray clouds forming. We know rain is coming, right? You know it. And you feel the the different breeze. The wind blows differently and you see the dark gray. You know Pacific Ocean is coming from the west. It's going to rain. We've got to get the boots on and the poncho and the umbrella and all this stuff. We know. Now it makes me wonder if Jesus used that kind of rain cloud as a prop. Because as he's teaching all this stuff, right? He's teaching really difficult things. He's teaching hypocrisy, judgment, uh, fire, baptism, division. He's teaching all this stuff. And and I kind of wonder if the crowd was just kind of like, Hey, look, rain's coming. Look, rain's coming. And then everyone says, Hey, yeah, rain's coming. Look at that. And, 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 and that attention is starting to get lost. And people are looking towards that cloud. I'm just wondering. I don't know if it's fact or not. This is just kind of my mind playing Bible. And as any of you know who have taught before, it's really difficult to teach when something distracting is happening and everyone's attention is on that thing rather than what you're teaching on. And it happens here quite often because we have the bass booming and the dogs barking and the people screaming and and music blaring and all this kind of stuff that happens here. It happens with car alarms. All that kind of stuff happens here. Usually I can just kind of make a joke about it, right? I can just like, eh, whatever, ha, 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 crying baby, ha, 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 or cell phone, oh, God's calling, ha, ha, whatever. And, you know, you can kind of just like, you know, just bypass and it passes. There was this one time where I couldn't do that, though. It was this, I don't know if any of you were here back then. It was a few years ago. There was this humongous hole on that corner and there was a ladder hanging out of anybody here back then okay were you distracted yeah see so there was this humongous hole and there's a ladder there and and so everyone's eyes are on there everyone in the balcony are look is looking and like did a meteor fall or like what happened like what happened there and people would look back to you because it's like this humongous hole up there in the roof so i had something to think about i was like i I, I think I need to use that as a sermon illustration. And so you, you, you kind of have to just change focus and then bring it back later on, but you kind of have to focus it. I should know that hole very well because I'm the one that fell through it. Um, we were doing some rewiring up there, and, and there, were, there were these beams up there, and I slipped. And so I slipped on the beam, and, and it was such a huge hole, I must have looked like a rabid gopher or something. Like uh, It's like, a hu- I, I was, I'm not that big, you know, like... And, and I caught myself, and I remember looking down at my shoes and looking down at this drop. And I was like, I'm lucky to be alive. And it happened so fast. And I just caught myself, and when I got, got up, I noticed all these scratches on me and bruises all over my ribs and stuff like that. And I was so sore. And it, it looked like an airplane came through. But it wasn't. It was just me. 
And, um, um, and, and, and actually, like a lot of these panels, people, they haven't fallen through, thank God. They've cut themselves. But it's dangerous up there. Don't go up there. But anyway, so, so there was that, that thing. And so I had to use that as a sermon illustration back there because everyone's attention was focused on that. And so I had to like refocus them. And um, aside from Mike, it was probably none of you because you guys are serious disciples of Jesus and nothing like a big hole would distract you. So anyway. But the way verses 54 and 55 are, are placed in here, it makes me wonder if this was what was happening and Jesus addressed something trivial happening in the crowd. Because doesn't it seem kind of out of place? I mean, he's talking about all this stuff in sudden, like, weather and scorching heat. I mean, what's going on here? And so I think, I can't, I, I can't prove it, but I think that he's using this as a sermon illustration. And then he brings it back home and in verse 56, and he says, You hypocrites. Right? He's like, hey, you guys can you guys can tell the weather when the rain comes, and you can tell when scorching heat comes. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can, yeah. You hypocrites. What? We're just talking about the weather. You know how to interpret the appearance of, of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And Jesus knew that the people in the crowds, they could see clouds rising in the west from the Mediterranean Sea and determine that a shower was coming. That they could look to the south where the desert was, right? The Sinai Peninsula, the, the dry desert heat. That, that desert heat can blow through and determine that scorching heat was going to come. And so just scientifically speaking, this is just kind of trivial stuff too, it isn't that difficult to figure out because the air in the Middle East is extremely, extremely dry. So there's hardly any water vapor in the air, which helps temperature stay steady. Water vapor does, right? Because water helps temperature stay steady. So if there is no water vapor, just like it is in that arid environment, so within an hour, if that southern heat is coming up north, it can change the degrees by 30 degrees within an hour. Because there's no moisture in the air. So Jesus says, good job. Good job in understanding that. Good job in seeing that. Now why did Jesus call them hypocrites? Well, they, they seem to be good at using their logic and their reasoning in figuring out the weather. But they didn't use that same logic and same reasoning to figure out that the judgment of God was coming. That at the present time, that they had a lot of signs that John the Baptist was preaching repentance. And so he's, he's saying, like, you guys can't even tell what's happening right now. And I'm sharing these things with you right now. You can tell the weather patterns, but you can't tell the things that I'm talking about. Judgment is coming. And so you look at chapter 12, and let me just point out some of these verses. Verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Verse 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verses 8 through 10. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 40. 
you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verses 43 through 51. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. So you can see why chapter 12, I wasn't all that chipper, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's harsh. It starts with hypocrites and it ends with hypocrites. And so this logic and reasoning can help you figure out so many things. It can help you figure out the weather. But you can't figure out that God's judgment is coming and that you need a Savior and that Savior is Jesus. That that Savior is me, Jesus talking to the crowd there. So hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in how they applied their logic and their reasoning to most things like determining the weather. But they didn't apply that same logic and reasoning to the most important of things. See, nothing is wrong with their discernment. Nothing was wrong with that. Their discernment worked. They knew how to prepare for rain. They knew how to prepare for scorching heat. But when it came to the words of Jesus, that discernment seemed to be kind of, eh. Sometimes we'll practice it, sometimes it not. Oh, well, yeah, hey, what are you guys having for lunch? Hey, check out the weather. Isn't that great? Hey, when's Jesus going to perform that next miracle? When's He going to do that next thing? And it wasn't just in Jesus' time. It's, it's happening throughout. It happened throughout history. It's happening in our present day. It might even be happening right now in this church with some of you. Many have rejected Jesus. Many have rejected the Bible. And maybe it's not you. But many of those people that reject Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, they haven't given thorough consideration to the claims of Jesus and the Bible. It's not that Jesus and the Bible have been found lacking. Their effort has been lacking. And there are many who have made judgments on who Jesus is and what the Bible claims without paying careful attention to the things of eternity. And there are so many people who have dedicated more time and more effort into their hobbies and their interests and other things than they have to their eternal destiny. And yet everyone knows that they are going to die. You know that. You know that you are physically going to die. Except for males between the ages of 18 and 32 who think they're indestructible. Everyone else thinks that they're going to die. Right? So, so do you see the hypocrisy? Because you see death coming. There's no way around it. You see it coming. So everyone dies. Everyone faces death. What happens after physical death? You have to look into that. You have to carefully consider what happens 
after that. Yet there are so many more people who spend more time, more effort, more of their resources into the trivial things of life. How many TV shows do you have to keep track with? How many sports stats do you have to memorize? How much time and effort do you have to spend researching your interests and your hobbies and and your work and all these other different things? Important things sometimes, but how much more time do you invest into that stuff? How much more resource? How much more effort? And many of the people that do this sort of thing, they're really smart people. They're really intelligent people. right? That empirical data is an important thing to them. But when it comes to spiritual things, they are just, they're just not giving the same amount of attention to those things. And how many of us treat our relationship with Jesus even worse than a hobby or interest? You spend more time on that stuff than you do talking to God, reading His Word. Right? That we put more effort into our work or our family or our recreation than we do about knowing our Savior than we do about studying His Word. It's hypocrisy. People can see weather patterns, and they can see the signs of a storm front coming, they can see signs of a heat wave coming, but they can't see that judgment is coming, even though it's proven that we all die. That's what people continue in their unbelief. And you can't see Jesus if you choose not to see Jesus. You can't believe in Jesus if you will not to believe in Jesus. You can't spiritually receive from Jesus if you're just spiritually dense towards Jesus. Back in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 and 16, Jesus cast a demon that was mute. When that demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and and the people marveled at that, picking up at verse 15. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he wasn't going to play their game. And so the signs were already present. If they were genuine seekers, they had sufficient evidence already to lead them to believe. Jesus isn't a source of entertainment. Jesus isn't some genie who gives you three wishes after you find him. Right? And you hear that sometimes from people. You know, I'll believe in Jesus when. I'll believe in Jesus if. I mean, that's pretty arrogant, don't you think? You're, you're talking to Almighty God, and you're like, oh, I'll believe in you when, I'll believe in you if. Aren't you already kind of admitting that He's real? If you're saying, I'll believe it in you if, if I believe in you when, that's pretty arrogant. So, hypocrites. Now, some of these people were following Jesus for a while. And there were those who followed Jesus' story for a while, who knew John the Baptist, who knew John's story. And some of them were even physically with John the Baptist. And the story and the message of John the Baptist was was well known throughout the land because he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. But the people in the crowds were hypocrites. They knew of rain coming, they knew of heat coming, but they didn't know that judgment was coming. Even though John the Baptist delivered that message, right? He delivered a message of repent. Repent. That judgment is coming. So they had this message, but they're not taking it in. Yet they can discern between a storm coming and and a heat wave coming. And they've been told that judgment is coming, but they're not acting on it. Now maybe some of you listening to this message are the very hypocrites that chapter 12 is talking about. 
nothing is wrong with your logic and reasoning. Nothing is wrong with your discernment. You can tell when certain weather is coming, but you play ignorant to judgment when so many signs have already been shown to you. Many things have been shown to you just like the folks in Jesus' day. You don't need any more signs. You don't need any more wonders. You don't need any more miracles. There was a crowd that gathered at Jesus' baptism. That crowd witnessed his water baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And some of the crowd also witnessed his baptism on the cross at Calvary. What were the people who observed those physical signs going to say when they're talking about judgment? Oh, it's kind of just all made up. It's all staged. That, that hanging on the cross, that stuff's all staged. That water baptism, that's all staged. That's all made up. You know, that's, that's not real. See, the people who were there at Luke chapter 3, verse 22, at the baptism, when, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. They can't dispute that. They were there. They witnessed that. And you don't hear of any rebuttals or refutes or disputes. There are people in our present day who want others to believe that Jesus and the Bible were all made up. And there are some people who believe that Jesus was a scholar. And he knew the Bible so well and he studied Isaiah so well and he studied these other prophetical scriptures. And he lived them out perfectly so that he'd have this messianic following. Nice try, but how do you explain miracles? How do you explain that? Sure, you can study up and do all this stuff, but, but how do you explain healing the sick and calming a storm and demons exercise and the dead being raised and thousands fed? How do you explain that? There are tons of eyewitnesses that the miracles are true. There's no disputes within history that says they aren't true. The locations are real. You can go with us in June. They're all there. The people are real when you read um, other eyewitness accounts like Josephus, who was not a Christian, and he's, he's just a historian and writing about this stuff. There are no rebuttals. There are no refutes. So Jesus is real. The Word of God is true. And they are all readily available to us for study and for prayer. But many are hypocrites. They don't want to look at that evidence. And they know how to discern weather patterns, but they don't bother looking at the Word of God to discern life everlasting. And the people in Jesus' time had Jesus right in front of them, and they didn't bother to discern what He was teaching, even though they can tell what the weather was and that it was about to change. You hypocrites! Verses 57-59 And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now there are some who believe that this last section of Luke chapter 12, verses 57 through 59, are a separate thought, and they're to be treated separately from the previous verses. But I think that verses 57 through 59 fit into the context of hypocrisy. They fit into the context of judgment within all of Luke chapter 12. Verses 57 through 59 need to be studied in light of judgment, in light of hypocrisy. That we have a judge for ourselves that is right, as verse 57 instructs us to do. To judge for ourselves what is right. Now, isn't it just common sense? 
Isn't it just common sense that you want to settle with an accuser when you are indeed guilty? If you are guilty, don't you want to settle for a lesser charge before you face the judge? Common sense, right? If you're not guilty, yeah, take it to court. Let's let, let's let it play out. And I'm not guilty and I'm not paying you a dime. I don't owe anything. I did nothing wrong. But if you are indeed guilty, don't you make a settlement? Don't you make a settlement for less of a charge? See, we're guilty of sin. All of us. We're all guilty of sin. And we need to settle before we face the judge because by the time we're in front of the judge, it's too late. It's the same thing here, right? In, in this kind of parable that's drawn up for us. By the time you get to the judge, it's too late. You needed to settle before you get to the judge. You don't settle there. Once you settle there, it is justice. It is just. The wages of sin is death. It is eternal hell. But if we come to Jesus, Jesus settles our debt. He pays it all. The settlement is, I'll pay it. I got it. And much of life is approached as if in a laboratory, right? We, how we conduct science experiments, how we conduct case studies, whether it be in fields of business or law or social sciences, how we look at things, we look at it from a laboratory lens. How about the laboratory of life? Why is it that some people throw out the lab results with their spirituality when everything around them is based off of laboratory data? Right? Well, you can look at any field. We, we base off of a laboratory data. That we're taking it in and we live life accordingly. But why do we throw it out when it comes to spirituality? That's hypocrisy. When we think like, oh, what's yours is yours. You know, whatever you believe is great. But do we do that in any other field? Like, like medicine? Yeah, take pain meds for, I don't know, something that's totally unrelated. That makes no sense. Right? Take this medicine for that or, or do this exercise. Work on your abs by working on your neck. Like, come on. Like, all the lab results don't point to that stuff. We don't live this way. Right? If you want to get skinny, eat 3,500 more calories than you need to. It doesn't work that way. We live life like we're in laboratories all the time. But yet when it comes to spirituality, eh, whatever's good for you. Whatever's good for me. And, and it all leads to the same place. Really? We don't do anything else in life like that. And so people have wisdom and they have knowledge. They have knowledge of nature and they have information. They have wisdom of earthly subjects and human matters. The hypocrisy comes by not combining the existing knowledge and the wisdom of earthly matters into spiritual matters that you've just kind of disconnected. Isn't that hypocrisy just clearly obvious? And people have the ability to logically reason based off of evidence. Dark gray clouds coming from the Pacific Ocean. Wind is cool winds coming through. Thunder, I hear it. Lightning, I see it. I know that it's rain is coming. But when it comes to spiritual matters, people kind of disconnect from their God-given ability to logically reason based off of the evidence. Jesus claimed to be God. I think the burden of proof is for you to prove that that's wrong. That's a big claim. And such a big claim, I think it's easily defunct if it's false. 
Alright, there will be a judgment, the Bible says. That Jesus is our mediator, and He desires for us to accept Him in faith, that He is returning, and that we are to be ready for His return, that that judgment is coming. Everybody dies. Judgment is coming. It's not time to disconnect our mental faculties from spiritual matters, which so many people do. Like, oh, alright. Good for you, that's good for you. Good for me, but not good for you. You know, like, come on. There is a historical Jesus that lived on this earth, that died on a cross, resurrected from the grave. It's not a trivial matter to disregard. It's factual. The places are there. The story is there that's not refuted. or There's no rebuttals for it. Don't you think the people at that time who wanted to, to disclaim anything about a Messiah would have done it? But there's nothing throughout history that's telling us that that's false. Yet there were so many people that would have loved that. The Roman Empire would have loved to squash that. The Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, they would have loved to squash that. But they can't. What happened to Christianity with 12 wimpy people? It blew up. How do you explain that? And it's more than observing weather patterns. And it's a matter that has to be contended with. You have to get your mind wrapped around this thing. Are any of you listening to this message not settled into the matters of Jesus? Because you need to figure this out. You have a brain. And you can no longer just scoot along not dealing with crucial everlasting matters. This is something you have to deal with. Why is it that people have so many opinions on politics or education or medicine or nutrition or whatever it may be, but when it comes to spirituality, people are less engaged? Even Christians. They just kind of distance themselves. Right? They just move away from those things. They don't want to talk about those things. Those things are offensive. And for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, it's our most important relationship. Why are we not more engaged? Why are we not getting closer to the things, to those conversations to be had? Why are we distancing ourselves from those things? And I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence because in terms of a Christian apologetic, it's concrete. I mean, people way smarter than us have come up with the answers as to why things are the way that they are, right? Thousands of years of of Christian apologetic. There's nothing that someone can say that is going to refute Christianity on an intellectual level. Maybe I won't be able to answer it, but somebody way smarter is. Right? The, The answers are out there. I think the issue has more to do with morality, and I think the issue has to do with spirituality. That we don't want to step into those arenas. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and the birds and animals and creeping things. Does any of that sound familiar? You see what people have exchanged? 
people have exchanged the glory to the Creator for the glory of creation. They've exchanged that. Paul writes of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. And unfortunately, I've seen this in a lot of university students. We have quite a few that attend regeneration, and I'm not saying that it's all of them. But some of them have fallen into this hypocrisy. I have quite a few family friends who have kids going to QC Berkeley. So they'll call me up and they'll say like, Hey, Pastor Albert, my son, my daughter got accepted to UC Berkeley. Um, can you make sure they come to church? I don't want them to lose their faith and all this stuff. And they'll come right at the beginning of the school year, dropping their kids off, and they'll come to church with them on Sunday, and I will never see them again. Dozens. Dozens. They're just smart kids. I guess I know a lot of smart kids. They've grown up in the church. They've grown up learning of Jesus and the Bible, and they've learned all this stuff about Christianity. And now it's supplanted with what they're learning at the university. Whatever their field of study is, they're learning that stuff and they've strayed from Jesus and their interests are now gravitated towards the things of the world and away from the will of God. The logic and reasoning is still intact. Nothing's changed. They haven't become dumber. They've become smarter in terms of worldly terms. They've gained more information. They've learned how to think more. They have all this stuff. Their discernment isn't messed up. But they've been spiritually weakened. With their inability to spiritually see, with their inability to spiritually perceive, whether it's due to pride or sin or pursuit of worldly things, who knows? But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-21, through 21, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Hypocrisy. The intellectual capabilities are there. They're just spiritually hard-hearted. And therefore they are without justification. They are without excuse. They have everything proven before them. There is no excuse. There is plenty of evidence. There is no lack of intelligence. There is no excuse. And the reality is that we are all going to be judged whether we like it or not. We all die. We will all physically die. Now isn't it sad to see people who are so intelligent about the things of creation, but they know nothing of the Creator? And isn't it sad to see people who are hurting so deeply, seeking the wisdom of man and the wisdom of science and all these other different things when the healer, the great physician, God, is wanting to minister to them? Now, what is the state that we are living in? The state of us, of our being. Because it's not that hard to tell. Right? It's not that hard to tell. 
this past week, if you turn on any type of media, we were supposed to be celebrating Thanksgiving. But what was most of the media covering? Black Friday, right? Most of the media was covering Black Friday, materialism, consumerism, greed, violence, right? Sales data. And while much of the world is without the gospel of Jesus Christ, many were worried about getting the best deals on an HD TV or game console or jewelry or clothing or, or whatever it may be. What's going on? What's going on in our world? How many professing followers of Jesus Christ stood all night at a Best Buy, a Target, a Kohl's, or, or whatever, a Walmart, whatever, whatever retailer, but the same people won't stay for an all-night prayer? How many professing followers of Jesus will spend money that they don't have on unnecessary things, yet they don't give tithe or offering on the money that they actually make, that they do have? Hypocrisy. Straight out hypocrisy. See, we're on our way to judgment. Right? We know that the storm is coming. We know that this is coming. We use the same logic and reasoning that you'd use if you were guilty in a court case and you needed to settle before facing the judge. You need to settle. You're guilty. See, you, you and I can't pay that penalty of sin. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's time to settle before you face the judge. Next week, we're going to venture into Luke chapter 13. One of the verses I want to share with you there is in verse 3. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We need to settle our matters with Jesus today. We need to continually repent. Some people believe, you know, I, I already repented. Already, Are you saying that you haven't sinned since? If that's you, please talk to me. Because I, I want to know your secret. Right? So, so we need to get right with Jesus. We need to get right with God. Is your relationship with God reconciled through faith in Jesus Christ? The penalty, the judgment for your sin is death. And you can't pay it. You can't pay it down. Right? Only Jesus can. And without Him, it's hell. It's separation from Him. And I know that's heavy. I know that's, that's not popular. I know that's not a good thing to say. But I'm held accountable to teaching the Word of God. I don't want to get beaten. And it's a self-preservation thing, yes, I know, but I'm telling you the truth. I don't want that for me. I have to tell you this. I have to tell you to stop the hypocrisy. I have to look in my mirror and tell myself to stop the hypocrisy. We utilize our logic and our reasoning for everything else. Everything else. Don't ignore it when it comes to the most crucial matter of everlasting life. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, who came in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and will return. All of those things have happened except for His return. We all physically die. The evidence is there. Right? All those things happened except His return. Every one of us will physically die. The evidence is there. There's a judgment. It's time to settle with Jesus before you get to the judgment seat. 
before you face the judge. Because once you're in front of God without a settlement, it's too late. It's too late. You're in front of the judge. It's time for justice to be ruled, to be handed out. He will rule with the evidence that is before him. For some of you, that's really scary. I think for all of us, if we really looked at it, that's really scary. Everything, everything revealed. Some of us have even forgotten what we've done in the past or what we've thought or what we've, you know, all this stuff. Your spouse probably doesn't even know everything about you or your, your children or, or your most significant relationships, your parents. They probably don't know everything, but everything is going to be kind of like laid out there. We don't have a chance. You need to settle. Right? There will be nowhere to run. There will be nowhere to hide. No one is going to post bail for you because no one can pay that except Jesus Christ. It's time to settle. Everything in your life will be revealed. Everything. And the only way to salvation for your sins is through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray for everyone here. I know that there's probably some form of hypocrisy that is going on. And I pray for your strength and your wisdom to flow in them so that we can live more in the reality of who you created us to be. So that we can humble ourselves to come before your throne, admitting our shortcomings and needing you. That you are our mediator, you are our savior. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not have a relationship with you, God, I want to pray for them that they aren't spiritually hard-hearted, that their mind is open to you, and that your spirit would touch them. God, may they come to faith tonight. May they set all their accounts with you tonight.